I need Jesus. How about you? Oh, man, I cannot imagine living my life without Christ. Uh, it is amazing how He speaks to our hearts. He comforts us in ways that we don't understand. I want to tell a true story. It sounds so remarkable, and it's also a little funny. Um, it almost sounds like it's a setup or something from Reader's Digest. But I had a friend named Jim Congrove. He lived in Prescott, Arizona, and he was a highway patrol officer. And uh, he was having lunch at a Wendy's one day with his partner and this lady came up to him and she was hysterical and she said that she had lost her cat she thought that her cat had been run over outside of the highway right where uh, Wendy's was and she was so frantic and and Jim just turned to this lady and said what am I supposed to do and she said I want to at least bury my cat and she said don't you care Jim said, all right, let me finish my hamburger and uh, me and my partner will go out into the highway, stop traffic and get your deceased cat off of the, the pavement. So they stopped, they pulled the cars over, they get the cone out. He had a shovel, he went and got a shovel and he kind of scooped the cat up and walked it over to the lady and said, ma'am, is this your cat? And she looked at that cat and said, oh no, my cat was much fluffier. <laughs> True story. I, I, I said, Jim, you got, you got to write that and, and turn it into Reader's Digest. That is just so funny. But our text today is going to involve some disciples that come up to Jesus and ask the very same question the lady asked Jim. Don't you care about me, Jesus? Don't you care what I'm going through? Don't you care about my problems? Don't you care that I am being overwhelmed in life? Don't you care? I mean, all of us probably at some point in time have asked that question. God, where are you? Because my life isn't going the way I think it should. And I think that you're not even around anymore. In fact, uh, Heather, can you, can you show the next slide? Sometimes it's like this, isn't it? I'll read you the fine print. There's guys looking at a telescope, looking for God, and he says, it seems like God is too far away from me. But the reality is the next slide. I can't see anything because he's too far away. When in spiritual terms, spiritual reality, he is right there. He is right there. But we ask that question because life is rough. And Jesus seems to be nowhere around. See, at the very beginning of creation, God came to Adam and Eve and said, I am giving you dominion over this world. You get to be my representatives. You are made in my image. And you get to rule over the, the plants and the trees and the, the skies. And you're, you are my representative. But you know what happened? Satan came along usurped the authority and dominion that was given to Adam because Adam and Eve did what? They sinned. And God 
corrupt, uh, basically cursed the earth. He, he cursed Adam and Eve, childbirth, you're going to have pain, and you're going to have this unique desire to always be uh, a, a woman, uh, woman liber, uh, women liber, uh, a feminist. Uh, I don't even know what the, the right words I'm searching for. But basically we saw that in that text in Genesis that the curse was the woman is always going to try to rule over the man, and the man's going to have to sweat like a dog to bring forth food from the ground that used to just come out. Adam lost his God-given majesty along with his innocence. And when that happened, the earth suddenly got corrupted, man sinned. Satan now is the ruler of the prince of the air in this world. We have pain and sickness and hardship and sorrow and war and injustice and falsehood and hunger and natural disaster, demonic activity and every other evil that plagues the world. The world is not as God has planned. And guess what? Bad things happen, don't they? Sometimes we call those storms. You have a storm in your life. You have a tsunami in your life. You have a hurricane in your life. Or where Tammy and I have been, we have tornadoes. Tornadoes. Are you with me on all this? Have you been in a storm once? Okay, grab your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 4, and we're going to read this amazing text, this narrative that describes a real event. We're going to pick it up at verse 35. It says this, On that day, now remember what Jesus has just done for the last few weeks. We've been talking about Jesus was teaching the, the people parables, teaching stories, mustard seed, wheat and tares and, and uh, seed on the ground, different kinds of hearts. And it says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let's go across to the other side of the lake. Let us go across to the other side. Verse 36, and leaving the crowd, they took with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. So there's this little flotilla going across this lake. And it says, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling up. But he, that is Jesus, was in the stern, that's the front of the boat, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? It's not a fill in the blank, but the first point is there's a storm. Now you notice that Jesus is exhausted, so tired, it kind of gives you a glimpse into his humanity. He came, Jonah. Uh, he came and amazingly he was both 100% God and 100% man at the same time and it is evident that Jesus is fast asleep. Now, there's a storm and you notice that it's at night. He tells them to row across the, the lake at night. Now, this lake is 13 miles wide and about 8 miles long or the other way around. 13 long, 8 wide. Here's the tricky thing about the Sea of Galilee, though. It's 685 feet below sea level. And then the hills around the sea are at 2,000 feet. So there's a 3,000-foot difference. So that hot wind comes off of the plain, comes over the hills, and it's hot. And you know what hot air feels like. And you all said, amen, we all live here. And once it comes down on that cool lake, because it's so low, man, there's a lot of violent 
storms that happened. The boat was, was small. It's a, probably a regular fishing boat, which was uh, an open. You know, it's not closed like a yacht or anything. And these are experienced fishermen that are out in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the night. And what does the text say? Go back to the text, and it says, verse 37, and a great windstorm. That word windstorm can be translated whirlwind, tornado, or hurricane. That's how violent this is. And not only that, it says the boat was what? The waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. It's getting swamped. They're going to lose their life. They're in the middle of a, a hurricane, in the middle of a lake, and Jesus is asleep. I mean, I don't even know what thoughts are running through their, their mind. It's noisy. It's, you know how wind can be. There's other boats around. People are probably screaming. Now, they're, if they're experienced fishermen, they're going to have a bucket. And what are they going to do with that bucket? Man, they're bailing water. They're bailing. They're bailing. They're bailing water. And meanwhile, Jesus is just asleep. He's soaked to the skin. The water's already filling up the boat. And yet he sleeps. Intuitively, you've got to give them credit. They knew that Jesus could do something, so they go wake him up, right? <laughs> How long do you think they were bailing water before they woke him up? How long do you think they were treading water, so to speak? I mean, I've got this. Don't wake Jesus. I've got this. How many times in our lives we think that a problem arises in our life and we say, we got this. We're going to just bail. We don't need Jesus yet. We can handle this crisis on our own. I don't care if it's a, a job loss or a sickness or, an, or a, a relationship issue or an addiction or whatever the problem is. We tell ourselves we don't need Jesus because we can just bail. Right? And then suddenly it occurs to them, they ain't going to make it. They're not going to make it. So they go and they wake Jesus up. <laughs> they would have saved a lot of heartache had they just woke him up at the very beginning, right? <laughs> well, wouldn't we save ourselves a lot of heartache if we just went to Jesus instead of trying to do things on our own strength? Yeah, it'd be a little different. Go back to the text. Look what happens next. Verse 39. Jesus wakes up, he's roused, he's shaken, he, they wake him up, and what does he do? He rebukes the wind, and he said to the sea, peace, be still. The actual word is be muzzled. Peace, be still. And what happened? The wind ceased, and there was, what does your version say? A great calm. That's the peace. That's the next, it's not fill in the blank, but it's the part of the, our story. The peace, a great calm. I want you to catch the miracle, the bigness of this miracle. Jesus has healed the deaf. He's, he's, he's healed diseases. He's cast out demons. He's turned water into wine. He's done all these miraculous things before. But no one, no one from the beginning of time, has ever told the weather what to do and it do it. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be quiet. Do you know these are the same two words that Jesus uses when he cast out demons? He says, 
be quiet and, and, and re- rebukes them. Rebukes them, be quiet. Some scholars think that Satan was trying to kill Jesus right here. Jesus is so exhausted in his humanity after teaching and teaching and teaching that he gets in a boat and he is so zonked out. I don't know if you're a light sleeper or a dead sleeper. We have a daughter that's a dead sleeper and that was not a good combination for her in college because her roommates took advantage of her all the time. But Jesus is so exhausted. And Satan, some feel, tried to swamp the boat. We lost dominion, remember? The prince of the power of the air has dominion. That doesn't mean he gets to do anything he wants. And so, as co-creator, co-sustainer of creation, the physical universe responds to Jesus, the master, the creator. And suddenly there's perfect peace and perfect stillness. And then Jesus asks a question. Actually, two questions. Go back to your text. Verse 40, you can see Jesus, he turns to them and says, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, it says, verse 31, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? It's kind of interesting. The Greeks had three words for the word fear. We just have fear. They had three words. And one of those fear, one of those words meant cowardliness, timidity, sissy, baby. Ever been called a sissy before or a baby before? Jesus, the, the word that's in the text says that Jesus tells them, why are you so cowardly? Why are you so afraid? That's interesting. Because these guys are experienced seamen, aren't they? They can't believe Jesus is calling them cowardly. This non-seasoned non-fisherman Jesus is a nice teacher, but he's not scared to death like everybody else in the boat was. We're not being irrational, timid or cowardly. Didn't you know, Jesus, that the boat was sinking and the waves were coming over and we were bailing, but we couldn't keep up and we were about to die? How dare you tell me that I'm a coward? You think they were afraid during the storm? After the storm, they're even terrified, more terrified. Go back to the text just for a moment. Verse 41 says, and they were filled with, what what does your version say? Awe? Great fear. Do you know what it, it actually is in the original language that this is written in? They feared a great fear. Like double fear. They feared a great fear. The storm was nothing compared to when they suddenly started to realize who Jesus was. They started to freak out even more. Yeah, they're afraid of drowning, but now they're afraid even more because they started to have this understanding who Jesus is. Who is this one that can command the sea and the wind? And it stops. And if you remember, when Isaiah saw in his vision uh, God, what happened to him? Woe is me. 
and, and, and he falls down. When Jesus, I mean, when John is on the island of Patmos and Jesus comes to him, and what does he do? He fell, falls down like a dead man. Woe is me. When Daniel said he passed out, basically the text says in Daniel that when, when this Son of God came to him, he passed out. Anytime you're in the presence of God and you really realize it, man, that, that's an overwhelming feeling of being in the presence of a holy God. Jesus was transfigured before Peter, James, and John. God's voice boomed out. And what did they do? They got terrified. That's the feeling. I know that's hard to understand that, hey, he just saved their life. He rebukes the wind. He rebukes the the sea. And suddenly they're even more terrified before. It's hard to get my head wrapped around it. That the awesomeness of God, the power of God is so big, so great, that it actually should make us quake a little. Now, Jesus has a two-part question. Why are you so afraid? That's what he says. Why are you so afraid? And then the second question is, have you still no faith? Do you see the correlation? Can you throw the, the next slide up? Do you see the correlation? When you have fear, it's because you don't have a whole lot of faith. But when you have a whole lot of faith, what happens to your fear? It goes away. So Jesus says, haven't you seen all the miraculous things I've done before and still you're not getting it? Still you have no little, you have such little faith? That's going back to the text where it says, have you still no faith? See, God doesn't throw you under the bus when you don't have a whole lot of faith. But he wants your faith to grow. Or, am I right? He wants your faith to grow. So all of our faith starts out as that little itty-bitty mustard seed. But it's going to grow and grow and grow. And they have seen Jesus do so many miraculous things. And Jesus is, I don't know if Jesus rolled his eyes, but I think he did. I think he rolled his eyes when he said, and he probably put his hand on his hip. And he said, guys, you still have no faith? What do I have to do to prove That I can handle this. Isn't that the same thing in our life? God has been faithful to you, hasn't he? And then suddenly we have a crisis and we say, No, God, I've got this one. You'll handle the other one, but I've got this one. And and Jesus says, Really? Do you not trust me yet? Do you not have faith in me yet? Do you not believe in the power that I have to turn your situation around? Their their fear was cowardly, timid, and irrational because of who they were with. Psalm 23, read at most funerals, says what? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Jesus, when you're with me, I have nothing to fear. David, can I pick on you for a second? Go like this. Yep. Yep. David, when you're holding your daddy's hand, is the world good? I'll ask you guys. When you were holding your daddy's hand, even though you might have been in a new store and a new place or a new uh, adventure, if you were holding daddy's hand, was it okay? Why? Because you had daddy's hand. 
Do you know our world is okay when we have the master's hand? When we have our daddy's hand, even though our world may be crumbling, Rome may be burning, things may be going out of control, I've got my daddy's hand. And as long as I have my daddy's hand, I'm going to be okay. Now, those are the three segments of our text. So let me ask you a personal question. What's the point then? What is the point of of all of this? Here's your fill in the blank. Here's the spiritual principle to the storm. Number one, there are storms in our life. There are storms in our lives. That's just the way it is. If Satan threw the storm at Jesus trying to kill him, you can bet your bottom dollar that Satan is trying to do the same thing to you and throw a storm into your life. Storms are a part of life at this moment. As Tammy said earlier, there is going to be a time and a place where there are no more tears and no more sorrows because what we messed up in the garden is going to be finally corrected and we're going to be able to live in a place that has real peace and harmony. I want you to notice something in the text, though. It's really interesting that we just kind of glossed over. Who ordered them in the boat? to go across the lake? Who? Jesus is the one who ordered them to get in the boat, commanded them, and said, let's go to the other side in the middle of the night or when it's dark and go across the lake. They were obeying, but the storm still came. They were with Jesus, but the storm still came. They were in the center of God's will, but what? The storm still came. Do you realize when you're you're being obedient, storms still come? When you're walking with Jesus, storms still come? When you're in the smack dab in the middle of His will, storms still come. Jesus said we would have trouble in this world, but... To have what? Courage, because he had overcome the world. Don't be afraid. Don't be a coward. Don't be a sissy. Don't be a baby. Can I say that in church? Absolutely. And realize this too. The absence of storms doesn't mean your life is perfect with God. You know, there are a lot of people out there that don't have many storms in their life. They were born with perfect genetics. They got perfect teeth. They never get sick. They land in the right school. They get good grades. Everything just seems to be perfect for them. You know, they're a little harder to reach for Jesus because they've got their whole act together. And they say, I don't need Jesus. Why do I need Jesus? I got it all together. Oh, all you guys are mess-ups. You need Jesus. That's just not true. The absence of storms doesn't mean that you're super close to God and you're in God's favor. And it doesn't mean that because you're in a storm that you're out of God's favor. I I just kind of went through that. You're in the smack dab in the middle of, of God's will, and yet there's still storms in our life. Now, storms can achieve purposes in our lives that we wouldn't get unless we go through them. Let me say that again. Storms can achieve purposes in our lives that we wouldn't get unless we go through them. Because God causes all things to work together for good, even storms, caused by a, a number of things. You know what Jonah's storm did? Brought him back to the Lord. 
You know what a, a storm that Paul was in and he got shipwrecked? It gave him an opportunity to, to evangelize a whole, a whole island. This Peter's storm gave him a chance to walk on water. This storm recorded here gave the disciples to personally experience the power of God. Let me say that again. Because if you say, I don't want any storms in my life, God, then you're saying, God, I don't want to personally experience your power in my life. Because his power shows up when I'm messing up. (laughs) Or when my world is out of kilter. That's when he shows up the most miraculously. When his power is on display. And if you say, well, I I don't want any storms, then you're never going to have that personal experience that you can look back and say, I remember the time God cured me. And you can fill in the blank. I remember personally when I thought this was going to happen and he showed up in court. And you just go, wow. God you are showing yourself is all-powerful to me. There are going to be storms, and God will make good come out of those for His purposes. Let me warn you, too, about something. If somebody else is going through a storm, do not judge why you think God is allowing them to go through that storm. Are are you with me on that? Let me say it again. Don't judge the purpose of someone else's storm. It's wrong and you'll probably get it wrong anyways. Uh, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. We're going to have it up on the screen. Count it all joy, my brothers. He's starting his letter off this way. When you meet various... uh, when, When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What's the second principle? Spiritual principle in the peace? Here it is. Jesus is with us and he gives us peace. It's so irrational, timid, and cowardly to be full of fear. Do you remember a time when you were afraid of the dentist? Well, that's okay. That's not an irrational fear. (laughs) That's a perfectly good fear. You should be afraid of the dentist. Were you ever afraid of the dark at one time? Chances are you probably were. Was that a little irrational? Yeah. Why? Mom and dad were in the next bedroom and you were safe. It was okay. When Jesus is with us, he gives us peace. Let let me share a psalm with you. It says this out of Psalm 56. He's pouring his heart out to the Lord, and he says this, Lord, you have kept count of all my tossings, all my wanderings, all my flip-flopping, and you put my tears in your bottle. Are they not recorded in your book? Do you know God cares for you that much that every tear that you have ever cried, He has figuratively 
kept in a bottle and he knows exactly what storm you have gone through he knows what wounds are in your heart he knows what addictions you have had he knows what relationships have ended poorly he knows how you have been betrayed or rejected or despised or devalued and said that you were worthless he has seen it all jesus is with us though and in spite of all those storms he still gives us peace Philippians is going to be put up on the screen for us. And look what Philippians says. Rejoice in the... Oh, go back. Uh, it's, it's so long that it had to be in two slides. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Are you reasonable? <laughs> Are you a hothead? Are you a Debbie Downer? Are you a whiner, a complainer? No. Even though things are happening and you're in a storm, he says rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. That means he is right next to you. But in everything by prayer and asking, that's supplication, asking with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And what? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on and says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, where you're supposed to have your head go? It says, Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you you i hate that commercial mission chevrolet it's all about you do you remember the the car commercials am i the only one that sees that commercial mission chevrolet because it's all about you the psalmist is saying jesus is with you and if you keep your eyes focused on him you're going to have peace because if it's up to you you're not going to have peace And you can crash and burn. And you can drown. And you can burn out. And you can fall so low that you can't get back up. But with Jesus, all things are possible. So here's the spiritual principle in the question that is a part of our text. Here it is. Faith or trust in Jesus is what calms us in the storm. Faith in Jesus is what calms us in the storms. Heather, throw that next slide up there. Faith in Jesus during the storm brings calmness and peace and replaces it, replaces the fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 favorite verse of mine the lord did not give us a spirit of fear that's that word timidity that that cowardliness god does not give you a spirit of of being a coward or a baby or a sissy or being timid but he has given you a power of what love what else um once you you can read it if you want love power in self-control love power and self-control That's the kind of spirit He gives you. Storms, however they come, do not take God by surprise. 
Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care? There's a psalm I want to close with. And it's Psalm 107. You can turn there. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it a little bit. 107. Psalm 107. This question, Jesus, don't you care, is actually answered 700 years ago in this psalm. In this psalm, he says, some of you are stuck in a desert. Some of you are stuck in a prison. Some of you are stuck in a sickness and an illness. And some of you are stuck in a storm. Now, we're not going to do all the, uh, the whole uh, psalm. But that's what he's basically saying. But because of your steadfast love, you deliver the humble of heart and punish the prideful and wicked. Jesus, don't you care? And I want your heart to hear it today. Yes, he does. He does care. This psalm says, Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on great waters, and they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, and they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil flight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and they were at their wits' end. When you're in a storm, and you're on the sea, and the swells are going high and going low, and the waves are crashing, you're going to be at your wits' end. And they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress." He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. And then he says, and he brought them safely to where they wanted to go. And he says, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. So whether it's a desert, a prison, a prison's an addiction, a stronghold, or a sickness... Maybe you're ill and you never can be well. Or you just have a storm of another kind. Jesus cares for you. And faith in Him replaces the fear. So it comes down to this. Do you believe Him? Do you trust Him? Do you take your burdens and lay it at the cross? Do you say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own, but you can do all things? It could be a strange relationship in your family. It could be legal trouble. It, it could be, uh, again, maybe you're facing an illness that, that is just unbelievable. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you have no worth, no value, and all you're done is filled with shame and guilt, and you think that you can never be lovely again. And Jesus comes along and says, Believe in me. Trust in me. I can make the storm be calm. And you know the old saying, either Jesus is going to calm the storm or he's going to calm the child in the storm. Have you heard that before? Very famous. Jesus is going to calm the storm or he's going to calm the child in the storm. Either way, we win. Can you turn to your neighbor and just tap him lightly and say, We win! We win because of his steadfast love. And it's coupled with our faith in him. Let me pray.